0: Hello, thanks for tuning in, thanks for listening to this week's Not The Top 20 podcast, it's the Monday podcast, a review of the weekend, things getting more and more interesting, more and more tense as we ease towards the end of the season. I wouldn't say we're easing towards it actually, I'd say we're hurtling hurtling towards it. That's the voice of George Ellick. George sitting opposite me, how are you doing mate?
1: Yeah, I'm Okay. I'm all right.
0: You you? were at the Valley this weekend, uh, Charlton Hull, quite an important game, which you're going to tell me all about later on. But we are going to start at the top of the championship because we've got new leaders for the first time in a while. Don't get me wrong. It's always been West Brom and Leeds. It's not been a huge amount between them over the last few months, but notable that with West Brom failing to win for the second game in a row and Leeds winning their fifth game without conceding a goal, George, that they are our new leaders at the top of the championship.
1: Yeah, no one can argue with that fact. It's fair to say. Uh, Amazing to think back. The last goal that Leeds conceded in the championship was that one that we saw live at Griffin Park where Kiko Kassia let the ball roll under his foot. And the uh, criticism for Kassia, then the criticism as well for Marcelo Bielsa, uh, has faded off into the distance. Has now leads rampant in victory. I mean, I, I said uh, on on Saturday on Five Live, um, I think it was on Football Daily, that it's another game where they won. They won the match two nil, but two nil isn't the scoreline that reflects the dominance that they exerted. I think the only game um, in that run where you can really say that they put a team to the sword was Hull, which they won four nil. But if they'd won all of these games four nil, it probably would have been fair. Uh, a brilliant brilliant goal from Luke Ayling um, made oh. all the better when you see that he scored pretty much a carbon copy in <laughs> training the day before so look out for that video but he's a player who is the latest in a long line of players who, who's just the, the ceiling for their career I mean if where before Marcelo Bielsa came in I don't think anyone could have predicted that Ayling would become as good a right back as he is now and yet you know, I'm looking forward to seeing him probably being a Premier League fullback back next season because what he can do on the ball, his energy off it, and he's now added a, a scoring touch to his game, including the spectacular like that volley on Saturday. It's just so exciting to see.
0: Harrison has, to me anyway, looked like he's really taken a, another leap in the last few weeks. It's been interesting to track his development, hasn't it? A two-year loan in Bielsa's leads. You can understand why Guardiola was so happy to, to sanction that. I think at times uh, he has been... Scapegoated. I think that's that happens to a lot of players and, and a lot of Leeds players at different times. And I have probably been guilty before of, of thinking that he wasn't necessarily up to the level uh, and was potentially one of the reasons towards the end of last season why they, they weren't ending up as as automatic promotion uh, as an automatic promotion team and, and falling flat in the playoffs. But certainly his performance in the last few weeks uh, and at different spells throughout this season have been really impressive. He seems to move with... Greater speed with more strength. His his dribbling when he dribbles seems to be done at better times and more successfully. Uh, his his assist for Ailing showed that his vision is right up there now, and it's really exciting to to have a player like that. I remember when he went on loan to Middlesbrough uh, the season before Leeds picked him up. He barely got a chance. And to be fair, he looked poor. So it's been really cool to, to track his development. Uh, and shout out to Ben White as well, filling in uh, in the Calvin Phillips role as Dan tweeted us. he uh, He's getting better in that auxiliary Calvin role. Uh, when Phillips was out previously, it was clear that Leeds lost a lot without him. Um, but if White can keep doing that job, Uh, then they will surely be trotting towards automatic promotion it's fair to say though that that early goal did help things uh, as always once they get ahead leads that's pretty much it and we know that you know they have still got some work to do to win promotion and for opposition teams just lasting half an hour lasting 45 minutes is is really the the most crucial aspect Uh, West Brom as I mentioned at the top of the show they drew nil nil with Swansea on the weekend and uh, I think you'd say Swansea had the better chances in this game. I don't think anyone was saying it it was a battering by any means. But certainly Fulton with the best two chances of the game, you'd say plenty of praise being given in the Sunday scouting reports for Swansea's young defenders. Certainly Cabango uh, through the youth system, breaking into the first team and playing fantastically well. And Joe Rodon as well out for so much of this season, playing with a a Terry Butcher bandage on, on his head. He is becoming a real cult hero for Swansea fans uh, as you can imagine will be the case when a, a young player like that comes through at the heart of the defence so that's what happened at the top of the table
1: it's just quite fun I mean I slightly tongue-in-cheek I mean it was more of a dig at all the people who who seem desperate to discredit this lead side and, and after the final whistle on Saturday tweeted about Leeds doing a Leeds and, and being the best team in the championship and that was picked up by a few Leeds fans it's fair to say and also spotted by a few West Brom fans and whilst I'm not going to comment on kind of the because it's obviously just a bit of a throwaway comment and being a bit facetious but the only good thing I guess from the weekend is I think we can all basically agree that those are the two sides who are going to be going up automatically here Unless we are going to see one of them really fall apart, but I'm all up for the for the title battle. Let's have a, a proper battle between these two teams to prove who really is the best, at least according to the table at the end of the season.
0: You sometimes hear mixed messages from teams uh, involved in in these sorts of you know purely title battles when they kind of know they're both going up. I seem to remember last season when it got to the point that Leeds had dropped away to the extent that that Norwich and Sheffield United did look like the top two. It felt like there was still quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of desire to win that title I remember Brighton losing the title on final day to Newcastle and being pretty devastated about it I think it's fair to say of course on the flip side of it uh, you often get people saying well ultimately if you'd offered me second at the start of the season I'd have bitten your hand off the destination is the same so uh, it really depends I guess on the on the character of the side but generally those teams at the top uh, are competitive to the extent that they do want to be the, the ultimate title winners uh, let's move on to two big humpings George I think that's the only word for them uh, Brentford 5 Sheffield you, Wednesday you love a
1: humping as well so. very
0: good uh, Brentford 5 Sheffield Wednesday nil bit inappropriate and Stoke 5 Hull 1 and I'm not going to lie George With respect to Brentford and Stoke, and we will get on to them, but it feels in both instances like the story here are the teams that lost and lost to this great extent, just completely collapsing. Sheffield, Wednesday and
1: Hull, I mean, where where to start, really? Yeah, you've said it. I mean, there's no surprise with either. Um, Both of them have been quite clearly uh, two of the worst teams in the division for... Uh, at least five weeks now, basically since the transfer window closed. Um, You can probably backdate it a little bit further with Sheffield Wednesday. um, I don't know the exact date, but I heard an amazing um, stat in my ear on Saturday uh, that Hull haven't won a game without Jared Bowen since something like April 2017. or 2018. Yeah,
0: I mean, we did have a look at this as well in the Quest studio when we heard that. I mean, A, it is true be uh, as with a lot of things like this. I mean, he played every game this season before he left and he of played course. every game last season as well.
1: But it's still, so. <laughs> but it's just, it's more, I guess, a case of understanding the reliance possibly on him for creative output. I'm not saying, you know, it's not as simple as, you know, when he didn't play when he was in, they lost either because he was playing the whole time. It's just, it just, I sound like a bit like a broken record here, but I, I do feel for Hull uh, and Hull's owners because... You know they, they wouldn't have expected, even if they'd gone on a run, as they have of two points in seven or eight games, I don't think they'd have anticipated the teams below them picking up points at such a rate that means that they're now right in the thick of it. They mm. probably thought that they'd still have a bit of breathing space. Um, they were, I think, 13 points clear over the drop zone um, on 39 points when they sold Bowen and Grisitsky. And that that is now two, yeah. um, which is Five shocking. points
0: in your last 12. That's uh, It's not going to help things. And,
1: and it's hard to see uh, a way back, really. I mean, I've been... Inc- very critical of George Long all season and yet again the the all-important first goal he parries into the roof of the net which should be a a regulation save from a Nick Powell header Uh, he's not somebody who dominates the box effectively he's not a very good shot stopper and I'm pretty sure that being a defender playing in front of him has got to be a bit of a nightmare at the moment he's obviously going through a crisis of confidence on top of not being particularly capable uh, and it's hard to see where where that's going to change. I mean, the saving grace for them is, and it has to be a saving grace, is that they host Charlton on, on Saturday because Charlton are, are the other side who just don't really seem to have an idea about how to turn this form around. Since beating Luton uh, so impressively a, a few weeks ago, they've lost three games not scoring uh, and not to particularly good sides mm. either. So it's, um, it's that I mean, that, that's now got to be, We've had a lot of these games between sides at the bottom end of the table. I saw one on Saturday, but right now that whole Charlton game—it feels like—is—is is the one which is going to tell us how much of a relegation battle we have left, or are we going to see the three clubs promoted last season coming from straight back down?
0: George, how do you spell Hull? Go on. H, U. Yeah.
1: L, L.
0: H U. You've almost got it right. H U L L L L D L D. L-L-L-L. That's their recent form. There you go. How do you spell Sheffield Wednesday? Sheffield Wednesday without the W. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Uh, uh, The team that beat Hull, it's time to give credit to Stoke because you you pointed out that since the beginning of the year, Hull absolutely rock bottom in the league table. 12 games since the 1st of January. Five points for them. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday, as you mentioned, the second worst team. Nine points in their last 12 games. But Stoke City, since the turn of the year... Looking very tidy indeed. 21 points from 12 games. It's the third best record in the league. Fulham top with 22 from 12 since January the 1st. Derby, Stoke and Wigan all have 21 points. Brentford, Leeds, Forest have 20. And West Brom, 19. That's the top eight teams. Stoke very much among the conversation. And I must say, I was very tickled by our friend on Twitter, Sussex Stokey, who tweeted us earlier to say, has Michael O'Neill... Made Stoke good purely to make everyone predict a high finish next season and to be made to look like idiots again. I took that as a a completely legitimate dig at us because the two seasons since they've been down, we've been pretty high on them preseason and they've uh, they've let us down somewhat. But uh, you can you can see his point. Uh, Pete Smith tweeted to say Stoke hadn't scored three times in a game for 88 matches before Michael O'Neill was appointed, and they've done it six times in his first 22 league games. Loads of positives, especially surrounding the performances here of Nick Powell, who is fit and thriving. Just such a talented, such a skillful player. Something that has been no secret for a few years, but just the very fact of him being available, getting a run of games. It looks like his body at the moment isn't letting him down uh, and the the Stoke fans are enjoying that. But also the emergence, I guess you'd say, of Tyrese Campbell. Um, Son of Kevin, of course. Young striker who despite consistently scoring I think pretty much whenever he played at youth level and even on a few loans it, it was always that situation where Stoke almost because they had money to spend just spent it on strikers and you know the ones we're talking about Hogan and Vokes of course uh, a phoby too and so Campbell really did have to you know it felt like he couldn't have waited much longer basically for his chance based on what he was doing uh, and it turns out he has stepped up to, to senior football very well he's got a nice Mobility about him, a good bit of skill, um, decent size and a a banging left foot. So not much not to like at the moment about Tyrese Campbell and and not much not to like about Michael O'Neill's Stoke. I mean, the funny thing is, you know, they're 17th. They're only two points above the relegation zone. So a bit like Huddersfield, who have improved so much. A bit like Wigan, who are, as I mentioned, the third best team in the league in 2020. They still have to make sure over the next nine games... They don't let standards slip. So it is a fascinating relegation battle. Um, to what extent a Sheffield Wednesday part of that conversation? We still don't know whether there'll be a points deduction, when we will know what the sanction is or isn't, or what the result of that is. But the more they continue to drop points, I mean, the more worried you have to get. It's now just nine points between them and the relegation zone.
1: Yeah, it's, it's all conjecture, I guess. I mean, you'd think... In terms of purely the points that they have, they should be absolutely fine. Um, but we don't know what's happening with this deduction. There seems to be some noises, um, you know, as reflected by the odds, that it's, it's by no means a foregone conclusion that they won't have a points penalty. Um, but in terms of... it, It's a pain for you and I and everyone else trying to cover these leagues, because in talking about the relegation battle from... The championship and talking about the relegation battle from League Two, we just have no idea where we stand. We have no idea if Macclesfield, Sheffield Wednesday, um, Derby, Southend, it, Southend, Alden. we're we're completely in the dark. And obviously, I, I'm I'm not complaining that you know us in the media are, are the are the real losers here because of course that is not the case. It's just it's difficult to um, to assess the, the likelihood of Sheffield Wednesday being relegated because. We have no idea how many points they're on. Basically, um, the points tally doesn't tell the whole story, and that's it. Couldn't I mean Macclesfield are the one where it's the most true, where Macclesfield could have anywhere, as far as I can tell, between having no more points deductions and staying on the points they're on to having possibly three more. Uh. And that's not three more points; that's three separate points deductions, which could be of any value. We don't know. So, in the case of Sheffield Wednesday, they're they're obviously a side who look um, on the pitch that's pretty much the worst in the division. Um, at the moment, not helped by the fact that um, they had to play Man City in the Cup midweek, which is probably the, one of their best performances um, of recent times, uh, regardless of what Martin Keown may have said on, on, on the TV commentary. Um, they did pretty well to, to keep them at arm's length, in my opinion. Um, but for Gary Monk, this is a difficult situation now where I'm not sure age 40 how his reputation would survive if this is how his time at Sheffield Wednesday ends because this is not the first time this has happened. This will be like the fourth or fifth club, I think it is. His fifth job, yeah. And he'd have left all of them basically in worse states than when he came in despite decent runs in the middle of them. Um, He would never have stayed at a club for longer than a full season. Um, So even though I'm pretty sure given what's going off the pitch, given what's going off the pitch, Gary Monk will be desperate to leave the club, you you would imagine. Uh um I, 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 I mean, I don't understand who would be giving him a job in the championship again if that happened.
0: He said it was nothing short of embarrassing, inexcusable. We were hiding today. We hid from the responsibilities that you face on a football pitch. Uh, the one thing that you need is heart. And I don't think we showed any of that today. It was embarrassing. The most embarrassed I've ever felt in all my time involved in football. I think there are deeper rooted issues here. That was a sort of not so coded message to say you know, it's not really my fault. And to what extent that is true or to what extent you do blame Monk, I think everyone's on a a different part of of that sliding scale, I think. But what's undeniable is that there have been too many occasions uh, in the last, what, two months or so, basically since Christmas, where they have capitulated either from the beginning, such as that 5-0 home defeat against Blackburn uh, last weekend when they were 3-0 down at half time at home to Derby in the 3-0 defeat at home to Reading. Um, but even some of the games where they've somehow snatched defeat from the jaws of of a draw or a win, uh, conceding two in injury time to Stoke on Boxing Day. That was kind of the start of the run, and you have to think that the impact of that is clearly pretty substantial. At the same time, they're not the first, they're not the second, they're probably not even the third team this season to go to Griffin Park and be completely played off the pitch, and I think it's worth mentioning that because Brentford at their best uh, is no surprise to anyone now they are uh, about as tough a prospect as as it comes Jed Wallace himself said said on the pod two weeks ago Griffin Park Brentford away is, is the worst fixture the hardest fixture in the division and apparently something of a running joke that uh, amongst players across the league which I thought was quite interesting to hear um, Marcondes and De Silva the two that I wanted to pick out here decent hit that wasn't it yeah absolute rip snorter from Marcondes uh, the Bees fans have obviously had to be fairly patient with him. Normally when Brentford sign a player, their impact is is fairly immediate and fairly obvious. With Marcondes, who had been one of the best players in the Danish league prior to joining, it's taken a bit more time. Injuries haven't helped him. I was
1: so excited when he signed. I think, I think we all were. I think we all were. I mean, yeah. his
0: numbers in Denmark were incredible. He has... Su- I think found it difficult to nail down a position in this team, whether he was able to play up front, probably not off the left. Well, that's Ben Rama's role, um, but he appears to be thriving just currently, just short term, small sample size, but uh, as one of their eights in this four, three, three system that they play and and the two advanced midfield players to Silva and Marcondes, they were really the key here. I think, you know, it's one thing dealing with the front three. Uh, ben Rama was on pretty sparkling form and, And Bermo has not been on great form uh, relative to previous in the season recently but he was very good Watkins didn't score in a in a 5-0 win which is surprising for the second best top scorer in the league but I think in handling them that's kind of one battle if you've then got Marcondes and De Silva at their best which is for Marcondes a threat from range which is creative passing for De Silva that's a threat from range, progressive passing and and progressive dribbling with the ball, then uh, you're always going to have a a problem. So credit to Bees for a a pretty, well, a perfect performance, but made fairly easy, especially that third goal by a a woeful opposition. Uh, And then there's some very significant away wins, George, in the league uh, this week. Let's start with the game you were at, Charlton 0, Middlesbrough 1. Previewing this game, it, it had felt like Groundhog Day, you said, for Charlton. The last few weeks they've played Barnsley, they would played Luton. We'd previewed them as if to say, you know, win these and there should be enough gap between them. But as you said, because of the the way other teams have picked up points, despite winning both those games, they were still at risk. <coughs> of course, losing to Middlesbrough on the weekend, they're now in the relegation zone. W- what was the game like? How did it play out?
1: Yeah, it was a, it was a pretty poor game. Um, although Middlesbrough deserve credit because they were the better side. They deserved... The win, uh, they probably deserved to win by more than they did. Uh, I would say Charlton were really disappointing, to be honest. Um, you know, we've been at times this season been very harsh on Borough and very kind to Charlton. So I think it's only fair that in covering this, um, you know, we tell it how it is. And there was for. In, in the kind of media area before, we spoke about how Stjanovic came in for his Middlesbrough debut and what a game it was for him to come into. And I was telling anyone that would listen how it was classic Woodgate to take a player who's performed very well, a young player who's been, you know, I would say, come into a very difficult situation with their key player, Dan Randolph, leaving in, in, in pairs. And he's been very good and he's deserved to keep his place. So for him to be dropped for this massive game, after a an incident where you could argue that he was maybe at fault for the Lewis Graven goal, but Jonathan Woodgate came out came out afterwards saying it was a blatant foul. Well, you can't have it two ways, Woody. Either, either it's a foul and it's not your keeper's fault, or it's your keeper's fault and it's not a foul. The fact that he dropped him for the game suggested that he wanted to take him out of the firing line or had lost faith in him. But to bring in Stiannovich for this game, you know, probably one of Middlesbrough's biggest games in recent history, uh, in order to try and prevent themselves from sliding into League One, because if they'd have lost and Stiannovich made a mistake, that was what they were looking at. Mm. For Charlton not to test him all game is just a crime. I mean, I'm not a fan of of poor shot locations unless it's me taking it on in five aside. But um, <laughs> but they were lacking any motivation to test him. Uh, the key to their attacks were getting the ball wide and putting crosses into the box um, Taylor and, and Bon who came on a half-time largely struggled to to meet them there was one decent ball in that Taylor couldn't quite stretch to early on but yeah generally it was it was a big header at the end for Bon it was pretty poor and, and then the header at the end over. for Bon um, but they didn't test him enough at all and, and it always felt like Borough with a with a likelier team to score um, you know I've no doubt that I mean we know this Charlton side and we know over the last 18 months or so, that they're not ones to roll over. And the fact that they're in 22nd now in the relegation zone for the first time this season will really rankle. But in the same way that I said Hull have to be happy that they've got the home game against Charlton, Charlton have to be over the moon that they've got this game coming up because this is an opportunity to put it right. And if you'd offered them a point in each game at the beginning of of this run of fixtures they probably would have taken it mm. and beating Hull would, would be one better so yeah all eyes on uh, on Hull on, on Saturday.
0: Massive good to see McNair <clears throat> taking his chance a really uh, well just a well-taken goal that and he's such an interesting player McNair uh, I think everyone remembers the way that he burst onto the scene with Manchester United probably playing at too high a level too early in his career but it's worth remembering that this is a a, a very versatile player I you know I have a real thing for anyone who can play centre-back and central midfield because it just allows you to be so flexible tactically and that is a real fetish of mine, as you know. Um, but also, I just think he's quite an interesting player. He's he's not, I think, let's start with some weaknesses. He's not a particularly progressive passer and in the centre of the park. Sometimes you want someone who offers you a bit more there, but physically he's excellent. Um, he draws a lot of fouls. If you look at the the stats on who scored about fouls, uh, players and how much they've been fouled in the league. He is right up there, which uh, is quite a handy skill in the centre of the park to take pressure off your team when they need to. But as he showed on the weekend, he's also got more of an eye for goal, I think, than he perhaps gets credit for. Um, Not necessarily some incredible long-range finisher like his pal, Mr Wing, but um, certainly in terms of of bursting into the box and arriving and finishing well. Uh, He's shown that plenty of times for Northern Ireland. And uh, that was a a key moment in that game against Charlton. So kudos to Paddy McNair and kudos to Gary Rowett because Friday night in at Sky. I mean, it's one of the best few hours of my life, life, this. I'm not joking. (laughs) And it's not really because of the result because you and I, and how ridiculous is this, having set up a podcast, whatever this is, three and a half years ago. Whatever were, this is. We're sharing a, a sofa with Stuart Pearce, watching a game and talking it through with him, but also hearing some fantastic stories from, from his long and storied footballing career. And it was a, a true treat. And you've got a big grin on your face as well, I there was,
1: one, there was one really funny bit where... Are you going to slag me off here? No. Okay. <coughs> I don't think so, unless I remember what you think I'm going to say. Um... Yeah. No, it was when we came on for our little bit at 7.30. Um, the tease. The, where we tease. tease what we're we going to talk about our, later. We, we tease our bit. And we came and sat down on the sofa. We'd obviously we'd already met Psycho before the game and, and he you know he'd hadn't really said much. But he, we'd spoken to him for a bit and we'd spoken to him about Forrest's chances of going up and stuff. And we came and sat down on the thing and he said to, he leaned over to both of us. Because, you know, for all he knew, it was our first time ever doing this. Like He had no idea who we were. And he turned and he goes, he goes lads, lads, you're gonna, you're going to smash it. You're going to nail it. You're going to smash it we were like, ah, cheers. Cheers, psycho. And then, <laughs> a leader. And then he just turns to Keith next to us and goes like, look, I've told them that to build them up. If they screw it up, I'm going to batter them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was excellent. Just such an entertaining few hours That, Not least because Millwall's first half performance was sensational. Uh, a tactical masterclass by Gary Rowett. Basically, whichever way you look at it, when we saw the teams come out, I think before the team sheets were released, I was fairly adamant that I could see uh, Millwall, you know, sitting in a low block, less so to suit themselves, more to make it hard for Nottingham Forest. That is a very obvious weakness in their game and has been all season, something we've touched on quite a lot. It's no surprise. So I expected Millwall to sit very deep and probably to stick Jed Wallace fairly high up the pitch, maybe up top with Bradshaw, and then have five across the back and three central midfield players. But they didn't do that at all. Smith started, uh, and that is a surefire suggestion that you're not going to play a particularly... A heavy counter-attacking game because that's not necessarily where Smith's uh, where Smith's strengths are, but they wanted it to be open and they made sure that they kept players up at the top of the pitch. Mason Bennett was another surprise selection, I would suggest, um, but in that first half, it was, a, it was a bit like a basketball game the first 10-15 minutes. I don't think it really suited Forrest, although they would have been at least happy that there were a few more gaps at the back, but once Millwall took that first chance. Uh, that was pretty much game over. They they made sure they didn't get caught out with the ball at the back. They started going a bit longer after they'd gone ahead. They tried to hit the space and and, and get Wallace and Bennett to buzz around and, and be a nuisance and take the ball into those wide areas. That's what they did. And um, in Malumbi supporting and Smith in the middle, they've got they had targets to aim at. So um, you know, I always think. It's not worth getting carried away here based on one result, but certainly in a single match analysing that game, it was hard not to be very impressed, both with Rowett, uh, the way that he approached that game, and also uh, the way that his Millwall players carried that out at the back. They were very, very solid, and it it felt like in the second half, it was sort of John Bostock shooting from range, um, and Forrest not particularly creative in the second half even when 3-0 down so uh, c- clearly work to do there um, and that's, that's not a surprise work to do potentially George for Preston as well something of a surprise result a bit like that Millwall win was QPR going to Preston who have been so strong at home this season going down to 10 men at one all and winning 3-1. Queen's Park Rangers for me they're still a up for a laugh team after we did our categories last week but you're
1: feeling a little bit stronger about them I'm not feeling stronger. (laughs) I'm just telling you. So Yeah, we we had this conversation on the way here. And I was saying that you cannot, you can't rule out QPR being in the conversation for Mm. a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to get there. They're currently in 13th position in the bottom half of the division, right? But they're six points off the playoffs. Mm. And we, you know, anyone who said that Blackburn or Swansea are currently, you know, don't have a chance of going up, would be laughed at, rightly so and they're three points behind them so I, I don't you know if, if you were to tell me that Reading then I'd be like yeah I think you're being a little bit over um, that extra o- two o- points o- making all yeah, the difference yeah it does yeah okay. exactly well otherwise where do you draw the line I don't know exactly but six points in nine games is ridiculous to, to say that they're out of it if you look at the top end of the table it's harder to pull away you've got Leeds and West Brom who've pulled six and seven points clear of, of the team in third hmm in half of that space of time. So I don't think it's going to happen. I'm not telling you it's going to happen. but gone very red in the face. Because I'm angry. Because, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and they're, they're a side who currently are in very good form and they're a side who have also just beaten uh, and taken points off the team that they're all trying to chase down. Um, I, I, I don't think they're going to do it. You can't rule out any team
0: that has Brighter, say, Samuel... And a very easy at this stage. Yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, and it was another fantastic finish from, from Eze, who continues to, to play very well indeed. Um, they've got winnable games coming up. If you look at their next few fixtures, they've got, I think in their next five games, they've got to play Barnsley, Charlton, Borough, uh, Wigan, and Sheffield Wednesday, and Luton. I mean, actually, going through it, they've got the easiest running I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, so uh, maybe they will do it.
0: QPR for the playoffs. Well, uh, less positive, I think you have to say, about the team that they beat albeit Preston are still in that sixth spot, but you can understand why fans not thrilled with that second-half performance against 10 men. Um, not a great place psychologically to be in when you have sixth spot and you have, as you've mentioned, six or seven teams sort of coming for you, so to speak. But this Preston defeat really adds fuel to that question that a lot of people are tweeting us and we're asking ourselves, who wants sixth spot? Who is actually going to get... Six spot because Super the hoops. way when you see Preston play like that, you know it's it's as I as I keep saying, there's so many flaws to these teams. Interestingly, Neil Warner, Quest George, saying he thought Cardiff are very well placed. Now, of course, he has spent time literally building this Cardiff team, so it might be that he he has a bit of bias towards them. But you know, he did make the point that they're in pretty strong nick. That I think that the poor start to the season might be deflecting people's gazes from the fact that they have been pretty good under Neil Harris uh, and that they're not too far off the playoffs. So this 2-0 win at Barnsley, which, as we know, is is something of a banana skin uh, away at Oakwell. But many teams, if they can keep Barnsley at bay, they know that in the second half, when the game opens up a bit, they will get chances and Cardiff managed that game really well. A strong, comfortable 2-0 win in the end and they're in pretty good position. A uh, couple of quick ones to touch on. Uh, shout out to Reading FC beating Birmingham 3-1. Birmingham unbeaten in 10 before that game. Uh, but Reading went there. And again, certainly this was a, a second half performance to be proud of for Reading. Uh, but it also was a, a bit of a confounding one for Birmingham fans who have been used to their team playing rather well recently. And it, it, it kind of felt like they ran out of steam a bit. But it was certainly an impressive second half. Uh, Mate on the score sheet. Pele scoring a lovely goal for Reading. Uh, it was Andy Yardom, who is consistently one of my favourite players uh, in this Reading side, up and down the right wing, um, completely tireless. And he's just one of those guys. He's so he's just so good defensively, just solid, unspectacular, but good. Uh, and the same going forward, really. He doesn't try and do too much, but he, he appears to me to be perfectly good going forward. And I think he's a, a real boost for them. Uh, given their good form under Mark Bowen, you told me earlier, they've got the fifth best record in the league under Bowen. You can see why there'd be some fans who are feeling quite positive about the future, potentially not about any playoff push, but about next season under Bowen. Then there are other fans who aren't still enamoured with him, whether it's a mixture of how he got the job and how this team plays. It's quite an interesting scenario, I guess, at the moment for Reading.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of irony there that they've got a manager who's turned them into, supposedly, according to points, at least the fifth best team in the league, and you know, which is where they seem to think they should be. But there's still some rankling uh, about the way he manages the club. I think the issue is seemingly his, I mean, there's a few things. It's how he got the job is quite clearly clouded the, the, the judgment of some people and they should be put to one side because it feels like they're never really going uh, to support him. But it's more, I think, the, the style uh, of, of football that he's looking to play, the way that he sets up his team, uh, it's all seen as being fairly negative. Um, it seems to me like Reading are a side who when it doesn't go right Bowen comes in for a lot of criticism and when it goes right he doesn't necessarily get much credit uh, this weekend being a real example of that where at 1-0 down to Birmingham when they weren't really troubling the hosts at all there was a lot of noise on social media a lot of noise generally about this is you know, so negative again When why aren't we going forward why aren't we attacking they go and score three goals and win the game 3-1 and no fanfare at all just you know business as usual so I know there probably isn't enough from Mark Bowen to suggest that he's you know some kind of a managerial genius but he does seem to be deserving of more credit than he's currently getting I think
0: think we can at the very least say that he's shown himself to be a a manager who can set up a team to be very very good defensively at this level and they've got good players but not incredible defensive unit you'd say on paper so for them to be so good defensively as soon as he arrived Mm. and to carry that on I think is is worth noting because that is a key part of football that potentially is sometimes overlooked because some of us prefer uh, you know shots and dribbles and passes and all that sort of thing but it's important Uh, shout out to Dom Sibley could be the new superstar in the championship guys I I hope you've all seen his goal it was on Sunday Derby thrashing Blackburn 3-0 Sibley very much the story um, bursting onto the scene, I think it's fair to say they've got a crop of ridiculously talented young players. We've now seen uh, four of them: Bird, Whitaker, and and Knight, as well, uh, move into the first team. And and uh, that's not to mention Bogle, who's still only twenty odd. Uh, he has established himself, and Sibley looks like the the next the next one off the rank. Uh, an aggressive version of Will Hughes, I heard him described as, which I liked. <laughs> and there was certainly a lot of power and aggression in that shot that. Flew into the top corner of the net. Black uh, Derby, an interesting side at the moment as well. Like so many teams in that middle portion of the league, just five points off the playoffs and seemingly in, in some pretty good nick. So certainly another team to keep an eye on. Uh, lastly, shout out Simon Sluger in goal for Luton. Uh, a sensational save at the end to keep it at 0-0 in that game against Wigan. Um, a lot of good saves made by a lot of goalkeepers this week. But... I was pretty negative about Sluger for large swathes of the first part of the season. So shout out to Sluger because he seems to have bounced back well after.
1: It feels like this is the credit where credit's due podcast. <laughs> yeah,
0: it does. That's the title of the podcast. Um, and there we go. Uh, moving on to League One. And we'll start, George, by just touching on uh, a really in-depth piece on the athletic. Uh, classic athletic deep dive. It was written by Simon Hughes and Greg Evans. Uh, it's called The Sadness of Ipswich Town. Uh, it's going to be hard to do it justice in just a, a minute or two, George, because it's an absolute opus. It's about, uh, it's very lengthy. There is a lot of detail, really goes in depth. Um, but certainly as a, from an outsider's perspective, and dare I say, even from an Ipswich fan perspective, the the detail within it, it, it does uh, shine a light on how things have got to this point with Ipswich Town, where it. it you hope they've hit rock bottom because it's pretty grim at the moment.
1: Yeah, uh, the the headline itself, it's only five words, but it speaks a thousand words, doesn't it? Um, and then you've got a few thousand words beneath. <laughs> uh, but it's, you know, they're a club who, it's kind of hard to, to watch uh, what's happening there, to be honest. Um, you know, Simon and, and Greg talk in the piece about the way that Joey Barton, in you know, ahead of the head of their games, he's just kind of poked the beast in a way. You know, po- you know, poking a wounded animal in order to try and get a reaction. Um It's it, it's it's so desperate. And then the detail into into Paul Lambert and and the contract that he signed, which raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, where yeah, it transpires, it was in the offing.
0: Bit of detail there. The the, the five-year contract that has been mentioned by us and many others uh, throughout this poor run of form. It was signed off. announced on new year's day which felt like an odd time and of course the form has got even worse since then Uh, the the piece does say that it was agreed in september during that good run so that makes a little bit more sense not that the actual giving of the five-year deal makes too much more uh, sense but there's also uh, there's a, a, a nugget in there that says suggestions there's an option to release him at the end of the season if he fails to reach the playoffs But the Athletic's been reassured by two sources close to the manager and the club that such a clause that he states he can leave without any compensation does not exist. So uh, it's an interesting situation. Plenty of detail on the owner, Marcus Evans, the way that he runs that club and why potentially that has um, compounded their, well, their poor uh, few years, uh, the the sort of gradual decline to the point that they're at now. Uh, If you want to check out that piece, the Athletic is the place to be. If you haven't signed up to the athletic you're missing out on an awful lot of written goodness and of course plenty of pods as well Uh, you can get a seven day free trial and 50 percent off the annual subscription if you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash ntt20 pod there's also a piece from derby writer ryan conway about dominic sibley bit more info on him there Um, but the sadness of ipswich town that's the long read for you uh, after you've listened to this pod Uh, the best way to to sort of get yourself across the situation at Ipswich as for the short term George on the weekend they were defeated by Coventry City now in Cobb's last 14 games 11 teams have been defeated by Coventry City and 3 teams have managed to get a point off them Um, it's definitely no shame in losing to this Coventry side um, who are seemingly cantering towards automatic promotion
1: yes Uh, yeah there's no shame well I don't know. I don't know. I, I think putting in a performance like that at home again, despite injuries and losing to a side um, with a, you know, despite what what it says in the athletic piece with a smaller budget than your budget um, who, yeah, I think there probably is some shame in it. Um, irrespective of, of league position. I think there's a lot of shame in, in quite a lot of what Ape Switch are doing at the moment. So I'm not going to absolve them of that, but that's not to take anything away from Coventry themselves who, you know, as you say, march on their merry, their merry march towards the championship. Mm. Um, I wouldn't, the nature of League One and maybe having a little look at uh, some of the kind of numbers, uh, the underlying data side of things in League One would suggest that any reservations for the Coventry Open, open, open Top Bus Parade might be a little bit premature. Um, they are five points clear with the game in hand. It looks pretty much so not they will at least be promoted, but I wouldn't be massively shocked if that number at the moment of three defeats this season uh, ticked up a couple of notches before, by the end of the season. I'm not convinced that they will uh, continue this run as they are. As we always say, with those teams at the top, you, you want a side who is blowing teams away every week and as good and as solid, and you know, this is taking nothing away from commentary whatsoever, They're edging out marginal games pretty consistently and that's a brilliant skill to have and it's enough to probably get you up. But I wonder if there's any... It's not as simple as them just doing this every week and winning one now. I
0: wonder if there's any parallels, George, to be drawn with Liverpool this season. Uh, A big discussion in the Premier League analytics scene has been that Liverpool's XG numbers uh, haven't necessarily lined up with the dominance that they've shown in terms of results this season and a, a big part of that gets put down to game state, doesn't it? The fact that they are ahead in so many games and just because of that very fact, they don't have to do as much and they can focus on on other things such as the, the defensive solidity that sh- that Coventry have, have shown. I think as with all of these things, there's probably plenty in that. And there's also plenty uh, to your point that suggests that you know uh, a team that that is winning at, at, to this extent would probably be creating a few more chances mm. a bit more consistently as it was in this game. Uh, they just needed that link up between, I think this time it was Walsh through to Godden uh, last week. It was Allen through to Godden, but very similar goals that they're scoring. Um, they have only conceded 14 goals in their last 20. So regardless of chance creation, that's going to put you in a pretty good spot.
1: And, and that's the key thing here, is that if you, if you look back at, at Mike Holden's fo- po- Fox punter ratings that we use, and he has commentary towards the bottom for both the last four games and the last eight games. But the XG against is fairly low in both. It's 1.04 in the last four. It's 0.91 uh, in the last eight against Ipswich. So those those figures were before the weekend. Against Ipswich, looking at um, Ben Mayhew, Experimental 3-6-1's plot graph, it was 1.1 to Coventry and 0.3 to Ipswich. So even though they took the lead after 15 minutes, Ipswich created very little. Yeah. So even if Coventry aren't creating loads of chances, they're still restricting the position to very little. So when you've got a five-point lead and a game in hand, you know if you keep how many how many games are there left nine if you mm. keep five clean sheets you're promoted <laughs> yeah and and at the moment these teams are finding it very hard to score against them um, all i'm saying is that there probably will be a couple of games based on those numbers where they're not going to win even if they have created the better chances even if they've frustrated the opposition they're going to concede a couple of goals but you know it, it, hopefully for coventry fans it'll be too little too late and Um, Yeah, and as I've said many times, Mark Robbins, surely the the manager of the year in the the three leagues, given what he's done and given the expectations at the start of the season, especially with the issue with the stadium.
0: Yeah, tough to argue with that. Uh, In terms of the picture at the top of League One, well, Sunderland drew late concession of an equaliser at home to Gillingham, which will really rankle Phil Parkinson and the fans. Uh, Fleetwood drew as well at home to Blackpool, Neil Critchley's first game as Blackpool boss. Uh, Very positive, certainly in terms of defensive structure. Wickham didn't play, and they've dropped out of the playoffs in eighth. But between Peterborough on 59 and Wickham on 59, there's now five teams on that number. Peterborough, Sunderland, Portsmouth, Fleetwood and Wickham, uh, with Peterborough and Sunderland having played a game more. And there's a team just above them, George, on 60 points. In third place, Oxford United, coming from two down against Shrewsbury. Talk me through... Why Oxford found themselves two 0 down <laughs> against Shrewsbury because that is a concern for me. I Why must are you say. focusing on that? Well, uh, it's a concern. I think yeah, we it, it
1: definitely is. Shouldn't just focus on the outcome. Let's focus on how we got there. It definitely is. It definitely is a concern. But you know, you need a little bit of luck in these uh, in these situations. Um, I quite enjoyed following the coverage from some uh, from some of the local press in, uh, in in Shrewsbury who seemed to you know, Sam Rickett said wow for the. Uh, for the red card um, and said he, the player got the ball. I mean, that is just... You know, I think Sam Ricketts has to learn that these games are televised and so saying your player's got the ball when he quite clearly hasn't got the ball isn't going to do. Uh, going to make you look particularly good, even if the second yellow card was possibly questionable. And then um, a local journal saying that Dan Aje crossed the ball into the corner. No, oh, he's
0: just seen it wrong. That's all right. That's <laughs> it's fine. just, it
1: makes me laugh. It is all. It makes me laugh. But, Lots of um, good performance for Oxford but, at the moment. No, but then I, I do think it's worth pointing out that... that it is luck and Shrewsbury were, were good value for their 2-0 lead when they went ahead um, and a red card has totally changed the game. Um, and it's one of those ridiculous situations where you know, off the back of a decent run of form but also a lot of games, playing badly for half an hour and winning the way that Oxford have is probably going to be a bit more beneficial going into the, the next few games as it would have been just a, reg- a regulation 2-0 win. Um, but as much as I'm enjoying the fact that Oxford are third, it doesn't really matter if you're third so if you're fifth or sixth or seventh at the moment, it's more much of a muchness because eventually the uh, it's just going to be where, where the scramble ends um, on the uh, second of It feels May. a
0: bit like musical chairs, doesn't it? Yeah. There was another game between two of these teams, Peterborough wiping the floor, you have to say, with Pompey this weekend. Now, we previewed this both on Going Up, Going Down and on the betting show. So I'm sure plenty of people will have heard our thoughts. Um basically the the preview was Christian Burgess is suspended the centre-back for Portsmouth who's so key to their play Ivan Tony's back for Peterborough uh, and will be a handful for anyone who fills in for Burgess plus the fact that Posh had played four games fewer than Pompey over the last three weeks and all of those things combined made it a pretty simple afternoon for uh, Peterborough Tony back and firing on top top form making it so tough for Pompey could have been three or four this game it was not close in any way so uh, that closes the gap between those two teams. They're now on the same points tallies. And as we've always said, the games between these sides are going to be so crucial. That was a huge, huge win, a resounding win for Peterborough. uh, And they can move forward, put those uh, two previous games where they had drawn one and lost one behind them uh, and move forward, as you say, in this essentially this large game of musical chairs. It's not the case necessarily, George. Down at the bottom is not a game of musical chairs. And... As regular listeners will know, it's pretty grim down there, but let's focus on the positives. None of the bottom five lost this weekend. It's been a long time since we were able to say that. Bolton in 23rd and Wimbledon in 20th had a glorious nil-nil, shared the spoils. And then three winners around them and between them, Rochdale, leaping above Wimbledon, beating Rotherham 3-1. They've done the double over Rotherham, Rochdale. Remarkable. They've only won 10 games all season, two of them against the team in second place. Tranmere getting a back-to-back away wins. And Southend, they'd lost eight in a row, George, but they beat Bristol Rovers. Which of those games... Sorry, they'd lost six in a row. Sorry, Sol, six in a row. And then they went and beat Bristol Rovers with a team of 18-year-olds. Which of those games was your favourite this weekend
1: Rochdale against Rotherham is my favourite nice um, for plenty of reasons uh, very frustrating I guess for Tranmere to put uh, another win together back-to-back victories only to see Rochdale side they're trying to chase down beat um, second in the league as you mentioned but good to see a couple of um, well one old timer in Ian Henderson and, uh, and a player Matty Lund uh, sealing the show here and, and they deserve it as well Brian Barry Murphy is a manager who uh, I, I think the, the, the kind of the thinking is is that he is probably the key asset to Rochdale rather than a key reason why they've struggled this season. Some suggestions um, that Blackpool were sniffing around indeed, and I haven't necessarily agreed with that. I think that quite often this season um, there have been uh, a lot of uh, not much depth to maybe some kind of good displays on the ball. Uh, But this was a really good win against a a very tough-to-beat side on a horrible pitch uh, and a very big win as well because if they had lost this game with Tranmere's victory, they would have been sucked right back into it. But now they still look like they have that little bit of breathing space above the bottom three. Yeah, seven
0: points at the moment for Rochdale. I think you could basically remove any discussion about anything that's happened in Rochdale's season. And if it finished today and they survived relegation... After another tense battle, but not quite as tense as last season, played against Manchester United at Old Trafford and took them to extra time in the Cup and sold a youth team product player for one million quid plus presumably some add ons. You'd say it's another season very, very w- well done for, for that side, but still a bit of work to be done. They went a little bit more direct by all accounts against Rotherham and caught them by surprise, I think, to a certain extent. Clearly, Rochdale's defence has not been good enough this season 57 goals conceded but they held firm against this rotherham team who had previously been in such good form but they are now on well a three game run without a win they've only won one of their last five one win three draws one defeat certainly nothing to start kicking and screaming about certainly something to keep an eye on and south end i mean yes it was against this bristol robes side who are in absolute free fall who are basically playing as if they are uh, as bad as South End, as bad as, as Bolton in terms of points that they've picked up since Christmas. But at the same time, South End side with so many youth team players that it seems like a new one pops up each week. This week, uh, it was Egbury who scored the second goal, who looked really lively by all accounts. He's tiny, he's so young, <laughs> but he's impacting games at League One level. And, and it's remarkable the conditions that Sol Campbell is working under at the moment. Um, it's It's not easy enough to say oh well they'll be fine in League 2 next season if Seoul stays because we've got no idea what that team will look like and what the we're also
1: learning pretty quickly that teams who do come down don't necessarily fare as well as you'd think we've got a couple of decent sides who came down in Mansfield sorry not in Mansfield in uh, in Walsall uh, who've you know struggled to really make an impact this season in Scunthorpe as well and even Plymouth who you know got back up there eventually started the season very poorly so Mm. I'd be pretty concerned about all these teams going down next season as to what they've got to look forward to in League
0: Two. Absolutely. So let's focus on the positives then. And it's been a positive weekend for Southend. Great for their fans to see a home win. Tranmere as well, as we mentioned, back-to-back away wins. This one at Accrington, previously at Shrewsbury. Bit of life in the old dog yet when it comes to Tranmere Rovers. Sounds like Clark and Ellis were the heroes at the heart of the defence. An Accrington team that had the majority of the ball, that probed and probed, got a fair few shots away, but Ellis and Clark holding firm. And James Vaughan, uh, you know, it was a slightly bizarre January edition. More the fact that Bradford were happy to let him go than, than the fact that Tranmere wanted him but a crucial goal for him as well early to put them ahead and a lead that they held on to. So it's not all done. Tranmere are the ones who need to keep winning and it's easier said than done when you are a team that has struggled for most of the season but Tranmere are the ones who could could put pressure on most likely Wimbledon or Rochdale. MK Dons having had a good run haven't won in their last three so they need to be quite careful as well. Uh, in the midst of League One, we mentioned a few teams who are up for a laugh, basically, with nothing to play for. Lincoln and Burton playing out a textbook up for a laugh derby. 3-2 this one. Two all at half-time with Lincoln having come back from behind twice, nicking the winner. 3-2 win. Uh, and a shout-out to Darren Moore, the lone whisperer, Jacob Ramsey, who is highly rated youngster, part of the England youth setup up on loan from Aston Villa. Yet another team trusting Moore Uh, with their loan players on their first loan. And and Ramsey has three goals in six games since he joined. He scored the winner against MK Dons. Top of League Two, George. What's the story there? New leaders. Well, new leaders. Talk to
1: me. Crew and our top of League Two uh, after taking their chance in a 3-1 victory at home to Stevenage, while Swindon stuttered, uh, let's say, at home to Forest Green, put in a pretty poor display uh, I think we'll excuse them for that given how good they've been uh, as of late but losing 2-0 to Forest Green uh, they still have a game in hand on all the teams around them both them and Cheltenham in 5th on 36 games everyone else on 37 so if they win that game in hand they'll still have a 3-point uh, cushion to crew but as it stands at the moment as you say we have new leaders in David Artell's team
0: yeah and to be fair their the sustainable the sustainability of crew in the last few months has been something to behold i mean look two draws before their win against stevenage on the weekend and a classic one we say every week stuff like this a classic one not to get carried away about beating stevenage at home but doing the business as you said uh, remarkable back to the wall performance by forest green at swindon riding their luck at times but also it wasn't a complete smash and grab when i I had this one on at Quest, and every time I looked up, it did look like Swindon were on the attack in the final third, but they struggled to break through. And there were a few moments where Jerry Jerry Yates uh, lacked composure, I think it's fair to say. But what a sensational leap by Ebu Adams, by the way, for that headed goal. It was like an NBA player uh, posting that header into the top corner. Forest Green with two points in eight games before this. So obviously they'd go to the county ground where Swindon had the most absurd record against teams below them but not this time Forest Green leaving with the win this was one of those defeats where understandably a few Swindon fans getting a little concerned a home defeat frustrating performance dropping off top spot but I'm here to say no need to be concerned Swindon fans that is official from me Uh, you might have dropped off top spot but of course on the same points as Crew with a game in hand uh, and things are going to be just fine. Across a season, you're going to have these games. Every team has these games. You can ask uh, Leeds United, for example, in the championship about those sorts of games. Walsall beat Exeter 3-1. Uh, Plymouth beat Macclesfield 3-0. And another one not to get carried away about, although George Cooper's individual performance looked amazing. With Exeter, George, this defeat at Walsall, I think we've we've come to learn, haven't we, that on their day, Walsall can be a real match for any team. They also seem to have a lot of off days. I would say, on the flip side of me saying to Swindon fans, you'll be fine, uh, I would say I'm a little more concerned about Exeter at this stage. I mean, they're three points now behind Plymouth in third, but it's more about it's more about the way that they appear to be stumbling for me.
1: Yes, but they put in a really good performance against League leaders' crew in midweek. Um, so... It's not a case of the performances falling off a cliff. Um, you know, we talk in glowing terms there about Crew, but Crew came away from the game at St James Park on Tuesday night as the team happy with a point. Um, Exeter had the better of the game, so maybe despite only taking two points from their last four games, if you look at the games they've had uh, away at Northampton's, obviously a very tough game. Um, not many people taking points off Yemsey's crew Yemsey. Uh, and then I, I mentioned the, the 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 crew at home sorry Yemsey's crew I mentioned the crew game and then Walsall as well so we'll learn more um, but it wouldn't surprise me too much to see them bounce back to winning ways with a couple of home games next up against Salford and Scunthorpe
0: yeah fair point I, they just always see it always seems like hard work for Exeter mm. um, creating chances uh, the goal was a classic uh, Randall Williams to Ryan Bowman's head but um yeah, they, they, they haven't kept a clean sheet for a while now and that was that was what was kind of keeping them right up there, uh, that defensive record. So I, I, would, I would say I'm concerned now about Exeter's top three uh, prospects uh, elsewhere in League Two. Mansfield beat Northampton with the caveat that Northampton uh, had a man sent off very early on and it was the old double jeopardy because Hoskins making no attempt to play the ball and fouling a man in the box. You have to wonder why players are still doing stuff like that fine to push him outside the box and get red card but you've not given away a penalty fine to make it look like you're trying to get the ball but give away a penalty and then at least you're still on the pitch so you've got 11 versus 11 for the last 80 minutes probably not ideal at all to go with the red and the pen option at uh, you got a good win up at carlisle kwame poku at the double one of them one of the most fantastically deflected goals I've ever seen. If you haven't watched the Carlisle-Colchester highlights, guys, go and have a look at that because Poku's second goal, just one of those sort of one in a million spinning deflections which just carries it beautifully into the far corner like a like a spinning top. Uh, and then we've got the group, George, of um, up for a laugh teams, which in League Two is large. And the funny thing is, I was going through the results and it struck me, Mr. Ellick, that at this point of the season... Sometimes it only takes one win for a fan base to start looking upwards and start trying to do some maths and start trying to work out whether potentially, Yimzy. if they win a few games and others drop points, could they reach the playoffs? And you've got this group of teams that all won this weekend. I'm talking about Salford, 2-0 winners at home to Bradford. Ashley Hunter at the double. I'm talking about Forest Green, as as mentioned. Uncut Yems is Crawley, who disposed of Oldham Athletic. Grimsby. Won the South Humber Derby for the first time in ages in the league. Walsall as mentioned beating Exeter, and then Newport as well, getting a one 0 win at home to Morecambe. They're all looking up and thinking,
1: I mean, could we? A lot of games in hand there, but I'm not having you going all the way down to fifteenth in League Two and telling me that they can get in whilst ridiculing. I'm not telling you can get they can whilst get whilst in. I ridiculing my QPR point earlier on in the podcast. The whole
0: point of this bit was we're gonna set it up and then just cut them down and say, Look, I'm not no chance. It, I'm whatsoever. not gonna cut it
1: down. God, well, I'm not going to cut it down. I don't know why you even bother doing I'm not, a pod, mate. I'm, I'm telling you I'm not going to cut it down. That's the thing. That's a, you know, you're the one who's going to try to spread the doom and gloom here. I'm saying dream all you want. If Newport win two games, they're two games in hand, that'll put them up on 52 points, which is six points off <laughs> Northampton. So there you go. Easy. Dream. Bit. Dream. Oh, this is
0: such a shame. This is such a shame that this is coming between us because, I mean, it really is threatening to derail things. Uh, none of those teams that I mentioned have a chance of getting in the playoffs. Mm. I mean, Sorry. That's a, that's the a wrong thing to yeah, say. No, there I, is a percentage chance of you getting in the playoffs. It's exceptionally low. Is it going to happen? Do not expect it to happen. Is it going to it happen. Gonna happen? It's not going to happen. There we go. Perfect. So there you go. Click um, that up.
1: Uh, Salford fans. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. <laughs> Salford fans. Yeah. yeah. All of them. All two However, of you.
0: <laughs> we've had some breaking news on the pod since we've been uh, recording. I mean, as news goes, it's, it's, not, it's not a world exclusive. But it's quite interesting, George, because Cambridge have just announced that Mark Bonner who, as you might remember, won his first four games in caretaker charge, has been appointed as the head coach until the end of the 2020-2021 season, if you get me, the end of next season. And remember when we thought he was some sort of miracle man or not, because he had done four wins in a row to start his interim career. You might think the fans would be like, yes, we love Mark Bonner. He's an absolute miracle man. You'd be wrong. (laughs) Read the comments beneath the tweet. Terrible decision, not sure about this. Deary me, disappointing but not surprised. Yeesh. Big risk, wasn't first choice when we sacked him. No, glad to see the club really want to move forwards and show some ambition. Nice bit of sarcasm from, uh, from that chat. Uh, and then one person saying, deserves his chance. Let's see what happens. And I think that's a nice way to end this week's NTT20 pod because if there's one thing we love to do, George, is wait and see what happens. What's happening the rest of the week? What should people be listening out for and what should they be watching?
1: I don't know. Uh, we're on. We're live on Sky again on Friday yeah. uh, for Brentford against Fulham. That'll be a good one. Fulham against Brentford, I should say. Any um, other
0: podcasts we might do this week, George, that you could remind people to plug. This is what people do at the end of... Remind people to of, plug. Remind people to listen to. This yeah, is what we, we do at the end of the As pod. ever.
1: I mean, I, I assume everyone is now uh, subscribed to the Going Up, Going Down podcast. And if would. you haven't, then, then you should. So Subscribe to it. Yeah, because it's very good to and otherwise we'll be at Cheltenham all week uh, you and I will both be there tomorrow I'm, I'm getting a rattle down this afternoon because I'm working there all week but fingers crossed that we're lucky and I guess we'll probably post a couple of photos of us there tomorrow
0: you don't need us to say it but just in case you do stay safe wash your hands we'll talk again later on in the week <laughs>